On episode 280 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to reach your full tennis potential with legendary coach Nick Saviano. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the show. I'm really excited to bring to you an interview that I did with Nick Saviano. Nick is an incredible tennis coach. He's widely regarded as one of the world's preeminent tennis coaches and experts in the field of coaching education. Uh, Nick was ranked in the top 50 on the ATP Tour. Uh, he was actually highly ranked in both singles and doubles, I believe top 100 in both. Uh, actually, at the time that Nick retired, he was top 100 in both. Uh, Nick has over 45 years of world-class tennis experience, nine years playing on the tour, followed by 35 years as a high-performance coach. He took home a lot of accolades uh, as a junior and as an All-American at Stanford University, and he's uh, helped train over 50 tennis players who've gone on to professional tennis careers on the pro tours, including Grand Slam winners, Olympic gold medalists, and world number ones in singles and doubles. He established the Saviano Method, and he has incorporated that method into the Saviano High Performance Tennis Academy. He's also famously coached Jeannie Bouchard when she uh, went on her epic run in 2014 of, I think, reaching the semis of all four Grand Slams, including the finals of Wimbledon, if I remember correctly. And he has also uh, come out with a new training website at MaximumTennis.com that you should definitely check out. So I was really excited to, um, to get Nick on the show and big shout out to Terry for arranging this, contacting me, and I'm glad that we were able to make it happen relatively quickly. So with that, I'm sure that you're really looking forward to my interview with Nick. And without further ado, here it is. Hey, everybody. We have a special episode with uh, a fantastic, great coach who has done so much for the game and Nick Saviano. So, Nick, uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It always is so exciting for me to uh, interview uh, top-level coaches and pros, and, and you're certainly one of the best out there. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. And uh, yeah, how have you been, Nick? I've been great. Thank you. Life has been good to me, and uh, I feel very blessed to not only have um, the good fortune to be healthy and to be able to enjoy going out on the court and working with players at all levels, but also family, um, everything. I've got nothing to complain about. Yeah, no, same here. And uh, and again, it's an honor to speak with you. And yeah, we were both um, chatting a bit before I hit the record button. And you know, I know that there's there's a particular subject that you want to. Uh, talk about uh, briefly, so I'll, I'll let you get to it. <laughs> okay, well, obviously, you know, everybody in the tennis industry knows about the passing of uh, Nick Bolateri. Um, Nick was, uh, to me, a good friend, and I know he was to many people. I knew him for at least 35, 40 years, 
was always kind to me and always was very generous with his time if I ever asked him anything, whatever it might be. But I, I just attribute to him, he was obviously they call him a legendary coach, but he was a pioneer in many ways. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there to try th new things, to be innovative, because sometimes you're going to fall on your face. And the essence of being courageous, it, you have to be also vulnerable when you're being courageous. And he was not afraid to make himself vulnerable. He was not afraid to lay himself out there. And in doing so, he obviously accomplished an extraordinary amount. You know, uh, a while back, I wrote a letter on his behalf for induction into the Hall of Fame because I felt really strong about it. And uh, I felt he was impactful in the game. And I think that unquestionably, the game of tennis is better off because Nick Volatari had his career. He touched a lot of people and uh, he was a special individual. And uh, I wish him well in his next life. Yeah, uh, beautifully put. Um, thank you so much for for saying all those kind words about uh, Nick. He's definitely a legend, and um, you know, I was so fortunate to be able to meet him at the U.S. Open a few years back. And then he was really kind to come on the podcast and on the summit yeah. one year. And oh uh, yeah, just can't say enough great things about him. So um, I definitely encourage you to um, take a look at his story and and his life because I think it's very inspirational. And and you know, he's he's a great person. So. Um, thank you again, Nick, for, for talking about him. Um, so with that, Nick, I, I'm really looking forward to asking you about a wide variety of, of subjects. And also we're going to get into, uh, what I think is super cool and that you are, um, launching maximum tennis. Uh, so that, that's really cool for me to, to see as a online person, if you will, you know, in the tennis yeah. world. So, uh, mainly anyway, so, uh, I want to get into, um, how, players can reach their full potential because you know as as a you know podcaster who that's his main goal is to try to help players improve their game um uh, first off what do you think the biggest impediment is to uh that that prevents players from reaching their full tennis potential anxiety self-doubt uh, a lack of skill in the fundamental life skills of success and that sounds like uh, really philosophical, but it's not. You know, fundamental principles of life success, which are at the core of my methodology, I, I call my Saviano, the Saviano method. And, you know, that's a centerpiece of what I do, what I try to do in, in Maximum Tennis Online. And, you know, there are certain things that are irrefutable like the ability to deal with and rise above adversity. Um, having, um, you know, a work ethic, a perseverance, a willingness to have uh, have courage, which, as I said earlier, alluding to Nick Volatari, one of his great traits was that he wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. When I say vulnerable, you know, if you want to be great at anything, you have to be willing to push yourself to your limits and to expand on your current limits. It's very important. And, you know, in doing so, if you're not making mistakes at some point, you're not really pushing yourself hard enough. And so being willing to be vulnerable so that you could be courageous, courageous in striving and reaching 
for your ultimate goals, whether it's on the tennis court or off the tennis court. You want to use tennis as a vehicle by which you either coach life skills or that you cultivate life skills in those that are important to you or, you know, your students. So those are really key principles. When you see somebody struggling with their game, uh, given that they have, you know, adequate coaching or whatever it might be or opportunity, you really want to look towards the uh, the skills of, let's say, for example, let's use an example of of hitting a ball and staying focused in the moment. In the moment, when you're focused hitting the ball and you're really watching the ball closely, you know, a la Federer, if you look at Nadal, does the same thing, head still slightly after the hit, same with Alvarez, all of the great ones will, will do that on virtually all of their strokes. It's far more profoundly significant than the mechanics of it. What it means is that the person is absorbed in the hit and by doing so, they need to let go of being concerned about the outcome. They have to be absorbed in the execution. Now, that's one of the most fundamentally important life skills to be successful is whether you're you're interviewing for a job, whether you're executing in your work or you have a big test ahead of you, you must let go of the things you cannot control and stay absorbed in that which you can be controlled. And when you're doing that, you're going to flow more, you're going to perform better. And yes, you will make mistakes, but the profound, subtle, result is these are good mistakes. When you are trying to do things as well as you can and you kind of fall on your face or you make a mistake or you're struggling, that's a good thing. That's a process of learning and growing and evolving. And that's where brilliant protégés live. They live in that zone of not where they don't make mistakes, that's absurd. They make mistakes all the time, but they make good mistakes and they learn from it. They don't cringe when they make mistakes. Okay, uh, you know, then they go to the next one and the next one. If you watch somebody who's brilliant in math, you see them, they they get the problem wrong and they kind of scratch their head and they look, look at it and they look at it almost with a, a fervor and, and excitement. So let me see if I can meet that challenge. How do I correct that? And that kind of passion towards growing, improving, evolving are really some of the keys to helping people reach their full potential. Conversely, when you see people that are not willing to do that, when you see people who are afraid of making mistakes, what is mom and dad going to think? What are the coaches going to think? Oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person because I had a bad loss. You were looking at someone who needs help to overcome that negative approach because that will stifle development. It will stifle creative genius. You cannot be a creative genius. You cannot be creative when you're fearful of the mistake. An artist can't be creative when he's saying, oh, what if I make a mistake? Well, it's the same thing in athletics. It's the same thing in, in, in tennis. You know, you've got to let it go. Now, obviously, there are 
a multitude of things that you can do from a pure developmental standpoint to enhance your skills. But if you're not cultivating those life skills of success, then you're going to put real limitations on yourself. Yeah, very well put, Nick. And yeah, you made me think of my very first college tennis match, which I uh, had a big lead effectively and blew it. And my coach told me to focus on the process, not the results. And, um, you know, yeah, and it takes you very far in, in all aspects of life. But I guess how do how do people who because I guess, you know, even the words themselves, like when you think of like failure um, and mistakes, like it has a negative connotation. So I guess, you know, naturally the, the, the player person, you know, when they when they lose, like they'll feel bad about the, the situation. How, how do those people who are used to it produce, you know, when they have a negative result, they they their results get even worse and their mindset. Like, how do you make the transformation to what you described in the first instance? Well, it's a process like anything else. And very often when you work with a player and you get them at 12, 13, 14 or older, or you get an adult, a world-class professional, it took a lot of years and a lot of time and effort for them to get where they are. Obviously, everyone's got positive redeeming characteristics, but we, you, we find with almost everyone we work with, there are some negatives. There are some less than optimal mindsets. So you have to take the time to explain it consciously where the person intellectually grasps what you're trying to do. And then you create systems and processes for them to work through. But one of the most important things, in my opinion, in the field of psychology is that when you see somebody out on a court and you see that they're negative, let's say they missing a serve, say, gosh, I, I always miss that shot or whatever. Yes, you, you can tell them, oh, be positive. It really doesn't help you when you get down on yourself. But for me, you have to really understand and explain why this profoundly limits them. You must elevate the, the understanding level of that individual. And one of the most important ways is to take it out of the context of tennis and use an example in life um, where it would be obvious to them they're often not as sensitive about, oh, I just double faulted, you know, in the match five times and it cost me the match. Well, obviously they're very sensitive about their serve and all of this stuff. But, you know, talking to them about a self-fulfilling prophecy where from a negative perspective, meaning, you know, I, I always double fault in, in big matches. You know, somebody's always saying that and they go out, it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy and so they're prophesizing on what's going to happen, which in this case is a negative. And when you explain the damaging effects, not only in a tennis match, but in life, and that's really important that you see this adversely affects you in life. And you know what else? It will adversely affect your loved ones around you that are important to you in a negative way. Now you've made it into something that's more than, oh, let's just be positive when I make a mistake on the backhand. Because one of the important things about coaching and 
learn, you know, helping people learn is they are going to do and work on what is meaningful and important to them. And it's fine for a coach to go out and say, or a mentor, teacher, whatever, oh, this is really important. And they're expressing how important it is to them. The goal is to take that player and make it really important to them to want to change it because they see the significance. That's when you get buy-in and somebody is going to put the time and effort to legitimately make the changes and adjustments in the way they behave for the long term. Got it, Nick. So I was trying to um, maybe create another example, like maybe you as a coach see that the player really needs to work on their serve and, right. and you know, they maybe brush it off and then you, it's kind of your job to explain to them like, well, you know, if you work on your serve, then you're going to be able to enjoy tennis more and get the results that you want to get. Like, I know that's, pro there's probably a better example out there, but I mean, is that, it's just, you're holistically trying to explain like why, um, why improving a particular aspect of their game will give them what they truly want. Well, yes. Um, yeah. For example, I would try to put in, in a positive way and explain to them how it can profoundly help them on their journey and that um, I'd also use an example if if you have an overall goal that you want to achieve let's say collegiate tennis or if you're in the seniors like I have a, a younger brother who's in the 60s um, and he's either number one or two in the United States he helped win the world championship for the United States so he's a, he's a very good good player, you know, it would be applicable to him. You know, recently we were talking about his serve and, and wanting to make an improvement on it and, you know, those kind of things. So that was important to him. You want to let them understand that if they have a long-term goal, like I said, say great to be in a division one school, you explain to them how by tackling this head on is going to help them achieve their goals. So you paint a positive vision of what is possible and you avoid painting a negative picture like, Oh, your serve is really going to cost you with the ability to get into college. No, you flip it and you say, you know what? You have the potential to really improve your serve a lot. And when you do, you're going to find your hold serve easier. The game's going to be more enjoyable. You're going to be able to have a lot more wins and that's going to help you in your goal to become a D1 college player. So you you try to turn it around, create it a real positive. And it's it's not um, what's the word? You don't want to be pal uh, um, Pollyanna. You know, it's not oh you know everything's is great. No, it's going to be hard work. Yeah, it's going to be frustrating. Yeah, you got to push yourself. But in the end, it will be worth it. That kind of situation. So Nick. In terms of um, systems and processes being a, a very important part of, um, you know, improving the player once you've identified any issues, um, let's take the example of, uh, let's say, the individual you're, you're seeing is, is uh, exhibiting a lot of uh, negative self-talk. Um, what's a simple uh, system that you have either employed with a student that you've seen has this issue or that you would suggest? Because um, I do see that a lot with adult players um, having the negative self-talk. 
Well, as I was saying earlier, um, first explaining why it has such a profoundly negative impact and how it is adversely affecting them to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And also, as I said earlier, if they're adults and they have children or something along those lines, letting letting them know that this profoundly affects their children as well. Because if they're doing it here, they're doing it with their kids, whether they know it consciously, subconsciously, uh, certainly inadvertently, but we don't want to pass something like that on. So I'm all about constant growth. And when somebody realizes, often they don't, that they tend to be negative with their self-talk. And you you approach the subject not in an, an accusation, like you're so negative, but pointing out to them in hopefully a tactful way that this is something that's transpiring. Then you've, you've got hopefully an athlete who happens to be an adult or a child that is more motivated to make some adjustments. Then from that point on, you, you don't want to try to conflate issues. For example, just because someone gets mad doesn't mean that's negative self-talk. So somebody could slap themselves on the side and say, come on, move your feet, something along those lines. Well, if somebody is kind of yelling and is animated and they're negative, you're, you're not going to turn them into Mr. Stoic. And that may not be their on-court personality. And uh, you want to work with that on-court personality. But if you can get them to use that energy in a more positive way, come on, get up after your serve, let's go. You know, these kind of things or, you know, run for every ball. That's it. Move your feet. Then you you give them something tangible to adjust to. And then also there, there are many uh, common things that, uh, you know, psychologists will tell you, whatever. Um, when you, uh, you know, you miss a point, try to take a deep breath, walk around, try to flush the negative uh, thoughts away, and then replace it with a more positive, uh, upbeat kind of response. You know, use um, when you're releasing energy, you can look up at the sky or be broad in your visual. And then when you start gathering your, your breathing, and getting your focus together, you look down at the strings and go towards whatever procedure you want to do. If it was a serve, you know, telling yourself tactically where you're going to serve. You know, you can also go to the line and tell yourself, okay, I'm going to toss and, uh, you know, turn, really explode up. So you can actually talk yourself into a, into a process of executing. Yeah, excellent stuff, Nick. And, you know, there's something else that you mentioned uh, a bit earlier, which is being able to push yourself to the limit and expand your limits. And that made me think about the interview that uh, Novak Djokovic had after his match with Daniil Medvedev, where I, I believe a journal journalist asked him about how he was able to, um, you know, push himself. And even though he looked like he was in really bad shape um, and he was, I think, shaking at one point, if that was the right match, that how he was able to still, you know, win the match. And then, um, Novak said that he he doesn't believe there are really any limits. Um, 
And so uh, that was a very interesting uh, response. And then also made reminded me of um, a former Navy SEAL named David Goggins. He wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. And he said something to the effect of um, when you are when you think you can't go anymore, you've actually only reached 40 percent of your maximum. So, I mean, this is clearly very important to be able to, to push yourself to the limit and expand. So uh, how do how do we condition ourselves to do this? Because it's obviously, you know, very <laughs> painful and tough to do for players and people. But um, how do we do that? Well, first of all, my philosophy is that no human being ever reaches their full potential and ever pushes themselves to their limit. I think that um, as we get close to pushing ourselves to our full potential or to our limits, yes, it can be very painful, very challenging, but I believe there's a wonderful thing that happens with human beings is their abilities expand, their ability to do more increases. And so the limits, it's, I don't know that anyone's really reached their full, you know, full limit. Which individual in the history of the world would you say reached their absolute full potential? And you'd reflect, you can go down to some of the the greatest minds, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, the great uh, philosophers. And, and, you know, even in the modern times, I've never seen anybody who's really uh, been able to get every ounce of what they're capable of um, out of themselves. But that's, that's the beauty of it, is that there's, you keep pushing and evolving and growing. And when somebody thinks in a myopic perspective, like, oh, that's just about physically pushing yourself. No, then even if somebody doesn't have the physical capacity, they have their mental capacity and they can do things mentally at another level. And I, I think it's a fascinating field. And as far as players or um, learning that, that's trained. You got you got to you got to train them. You got to train them to push themselves. Um, obviously, you're not going to turn a 14 year old into a Navy SEAL. Um, you you can't do that. You know you but you help them grow and push beyond what they think they're capable of within reason, um, demand things that they feel maybe is a little too high for them. And one, encourage them when they fall on their face. Say, that's okay. Pick yourself up. Keep going. But, you know, that kind of mentality is going against the common grain in our society now, which I am adamantly opposed to. This thing about people, oh, you've, you've got to protect them emotionally and so on. Obviously, um, we're not talking about abusive situations. No one's, that's a negative all the time. Or uh, somebody that is, um, and, you know, intimidating people or bullying them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about look the challenges in the eye, prepare yourself, and work to try to overcome it. And if it's not one day, the next day, challenge yourself. It's part of cultivating growth in your life. 
without growth, there is no life. And so you need to be thinking in terms of growing, evolving, improving relentlessly. And so to answer your question, I would say it's a process that is trained. It's a process that should be encouraged and cultivated. And it's very important to teach players what I, I call my 99% rule is when you get close to 100%, nobody gets to 100 because as you get that close, you improve. And then also part of that is you must tell young people in advance that in order to really be the best you can be, you've got to be willing to give it everything you got or as close as you can on a given day, fall on your face and get up and then ha have the courage to do that, then get up. And when you come out the next day, the miracle of being a human being, the brain cleans itself up at night. There's a lot of things that go on. I really should know the technical terminology. It, it kind of flushes away a lot of excess psychological noise and garbage, and it reorganizes. And very often, you come out the next day and those things that you were struggling with, you say, wow, I'm actually better. I actually got it a lot more. A lot of people in music will say, you know, after a good night's sleep, I woke up in the middle of the night the next morning and I had the, the music that I was looking for. I, I heard that Einstein used to say, he asked the question of a psychologist, why do I get all my best ideas in the morning? Well, you know, he might work himself an incredible amount and then didn't quite get it. And the brain reconfigures things and the next morning you're better. So educating people on the importance, making sure that you bring them along where they have little small victories when they challenge themselves and encouraging them is really essential in that particular area. Yeah, I really love uh, that um, because, Nick, I, I've been reading um, a, a book recently, uh, I think by Cal Newport. I'm trying to remember the title, but it, it also, you know, it, it cited basically a study where um, downtime is actually really good, um, you know, for allowing things to happen naturally. And did some sort of study where the individuals, yeah. like, you know, half of them, they told them, okay, take a break and sleep on it. And then those people actually had better success with their decision-making right. than those who uh, kept at it. So um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So really good, um, good book there. I'll link that one. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, you know, consistency is, is another, you know, huge key. And I'm sure, you know, you as everyone else has come upon a time where <laughs> you have to do something, but you really just don't feel like doing it for whatever reason, um, you know, uh, maybe there's distractions or um, a feeling that you'd prefer to do something else. So how can we, um, how can we become consistent so that we can put in the day-to-day -day effort that's required to, uh, to make breakthroughs? Well, I think you have to start with the word discipline because you have to acquire discipline in order to put in the time to consistently work on something or even something as simple as being consistent on a tennis court. So discipline and acquiring that and looking for incremental improvement. So 
people don't get discouraged when they don't jump from A to Z, that they know that they got to go A to B to C, and that they understand day in and day out, there's going to be ups and downs, and you are going to kind of flop on your face where you say, gosh, I should have done that yesterday. But you have to keep encouraging yourself and be relentless in picking yourself up and going forward down that road and encouraging yourself and having people around you that encourage you. And so you also want to relentlessly, in my view, pursue uh, mental discipline exercises which facilitate that. I'm a huge believer in visualization and advanced visualization whereby somebody learns how to relax themselves and then they put themselves in a state where they then visualize themselves performing and executing. But in the process of relaxing themselves, if I can digress for a second, you learn how to try to lift up all of the negative components from your mind and your body that might be there. My, all the impatience, all the frustration, all the self-doubt, all the counterproductive thoughts, and try to get them to lift up from your mind, your body, and allow yourself to sink into a relaxed state. And then see and feel yourself performing what you want to get done in a positive way. And when you come out of that visualization, you then reinforce in a positive way my self-confidence, my self-discipline, my self-image, my self-worth, my self-esteem have all vastly improved and they'll continue to improve every single day. So I, I feel just people need to get away from the mentality of passivity, of accepting, oh, I just always tend to do this. Oh, I always procrastinate. No, you don't have to accept that. And you can, in fact, make changes, incremental improvement, find out some things that are going to help you to learn the skills to be able to pound away at the, those visions in your brain, in the subconscious that are, that are impeding you from being what you want to be. And by doing so, with good visualization skills and other things, meditations, great things like that, you replace those visions with what you want and you start transforming your life in a way that you want to move. And for somebody at a young age, I, I just think it's incredibly powerful and beneficial. Yeah, here's the powerful stuff. Um, I remember interviewing James Blake um, a couple of years ago, and he mentioned that um, before every match, he would visualize, you know, how the match would go, specific points and things like that. And he found that to be very helpful and, yeah. you know, to prepare him for the matches. And, you know, and he did very well for himself. Um, and you mentioned, Nick, um, mental discipline exercises. Um, I know, obviously, you talked about visualization and meditation, but are there any other, you know, particular mental discipline exercises that that maybe the audience can uh, can try out to to help them with that? 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I, I think you enhance them by uh, acquiring routines, which facilitate that process. So, for example, somebody can write some key notes down on a paper to read when they're, they're playing. It may not be um, work for everyone where they in, like that, but certainly a lot of all-time greats will do that, and they'll yeah. have a few notes. Um, you know, having routines before you serve to acquire the discipline, to slow yourself up, you know, to do the things, bouncing the ball three times, walking around, going to your towel, um, you know, when you're in between points, taking a really deep breath uh, and, and releasing, learning good breathing techniques, all of these um, enhance, but then really to me, you have the core issues of why somebody might be getting anxious, let's say, on a court. And then you have the, not superficial, but the things that you can do in the short term to address the result of those, say, insecurities. So let's say somebody has a real fear of maintaining their ability to play at a high level. So everyone's experienced their upper set, maybe a break, and they start getting anxious. They're starting to think about the score. You know, I got to win this. And they're really losing their discipline of staying in the moment, which, you know, one point at a time, easier said than done. Uh, It's, uh, you know, something that we know, but we have to, work on that. So the the thing is, number one, you can, as I was saying earlier, do some various visualizations. You could do that even on the court. Number two, have your routines that help slow you up. And when you feel you're you're doing that, try to flush that thought away and say, no, I'm going to come back. I'm going to execute this point, come up to the line and get back into your routine. That's the super that's the uh, I want to say superficial. That is, it's not superficial, as I alluded to earlier, but it is how you deal with the result of the issue. Then you have a larger issue of an insecurity or a lack of confidence, of ability to maintain. And people that don't doubt themselves will not only fear uh, be not fearful of maintaining, but they'll feel that they can continue to get better and better. And that's actually quite rare and unique. 
And when you find that in a player, that's special. So I think having the routines and the lessons in terms of how to pull yourself back into the moment when you're on the court and then doing something more significant when you're off the court, as I alluded to earlier with regards visualization, um, you know, meditation, various things that help you discipline your mind, your breathing, and your focus. And stuff, Nick. Um, how do we um, get over our, you know, our fear of, you know, taking action? You know, I mean, this is applicable to everything as well. Um, you know, certainly in, in your career, you took some uh, courageous decisions, but uh, in terms of like, let's say, you know, a player, they're, they're afraid to play a tournament or maybe join a league and compete, you know, out of fear that they might fail. So uh, what's some advice for how these players can get over that? Well, all of it ties right into some of the things we've been speaking about. Um, again, is I, I would first want to logically and intellectually explain the irrationality of the fear and but even more profoundly and is to illustrate how it is um, metaphorically speaking it's a paper tiger and it's a paper tiger that sometimes you, every day you got to go over and say yeah you look scary but I'm going to rip you up because you're paper and you have to challenge it. Otherwise, that paper tiger gets bigger and stronger and more crowded in the room and people begin to shrink in their life. So when you illustrate this to somebody and say, look, this is not just about you choosing not to play a tournament because you're scared. Where does it go from there? Where does it end? If you acquiesce to that, if you capitulate to that fear, where does it end? Does it does it end with you saying, "Oh, I don't want to try to be on a college team because because you know I might not make it." Oh, I what if I don't pass the bar exam if I try to be a lawyer? What if this particular person isn't going to like me? You know, even though I would love to get to know them. You know, if you're saying it's just a um, if you're an adult and you say, oh, it's just a league, well, guess what? If you step back and you look, that type of mentality where you're limiting yourself from the enjoyment of going into a league because you're fearful about um, failing, guess what? If you have children, you're passing that on to your children, that mentality. People say, oh, no, I'm not. And I'll look you in the eye and say, oh, yes, you are. And so you owe it to your yourself and to your loved ones that you are about growth. And if there's something you want to do, and it's obviously something that's healthy and positive and good, you not doing it because you're afraid you may fail at it is not a good way to approach life, in my opinion. And so we have a, an incredibly important job with young people is to make sure that if they are looking and they want to try this tennis to be as good as they can be, that we don't allow them to shrink 
when they should be challenging themselves. So that's something where for an adult, if you make it clear to them about how it profoundly affects a lot of other people, then you've got their attention. For a child, you explain to them how it may affect their decisions down the road. And guess what? They'll start listening and you create a really safe environment for them to go out and compete. And if they fall on the face, you say, hey, great. You know, you should be pleased and proud of yourself. You challenge yourself. And I'm sure, and my wording is very important. You say, I'm sure you might be a little disappointed. So I'm separating myself from saying, oh, that was disappointing. No, it's not disappointing for me. I'm going to say, I'm sure you might be a little disappointed, but you know what? You worked hard, you prepared, you went out and you challenged yourself. You should be really pleased with yourself. And I hope you continue to do that. And if you do, that's going to help you improve in so many areas. And you're going to be such an incredible example for other people that you care about. It's going to make a profound difference now in the near term and in the long term throughout your life. Really powerful stuff, Nick. I uh, really appreciate that advice. And uh, yeah, I, I love how you brought up the um, bar exam example, because uh, for me, uh, I you know I had fear of, of taking that as well. But I thought to myself, there's no way in hell I'm taking this again. <laughs> so that that was my uh, there you go. Powerful. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It worked out. Um, so, Nick, what advice would you give a 17 year old uh, Nick Saviano uh, that you think would have helped you potentially help you, you know, uh, accomplish even more things? And you had a great career, but, uh, you know, help you reach even higher echelons or titles and whatnot. Well, it's a good question because, you know, I fought a lot of uh, fear and anxiety um, throughout the juniors. I was able to accomplish some good things. Um, you know, I, I didn't start playing till I was 12. I was always pretty gifted athlete. I didn't play full time till I was 14. By the time I was 16, I was top 10 in the country. And by the time I was 18, I, I was top two or three. And then I was the number one recruit that year in the country. And so, you know, went to Stanford and, and you know, all American there, freshman, sophomore year. Uh, we won the NCAAs. You say, wow, that's really great. Uh, you know, yes, I'm very proud of those accomplishments and then going off on the tour and all of that. And even, you know, reaching top 50 in the world. Yeah. Nice, but it's all relative. It's all relative. And it was an, an incredible battle for me every step of the way. I was fighting myself every step of the way. And it was almost sometimes like I was boxing in the dark because I'd take one step forward, take a step back. I'd work so hard couple steps forward and then you know just when I thought and then I would really not perform anywhere near where I could so when you when you look at all that and you say well I never stopped challenging myself and if I had a little better guidance about the anxiety and the um, focusing in more on things I could control I was always told how good I should be in any sport. 
I was from 12 years old, Nikki's going to be a professional athlete. That was all I ever heard. And so it's really, if I were to pass something on, the last thing you want to tell your children is how talented they are. And mm. people look at you and say, what? Is it, yeah, you don't want to tell them they're talented. They don't need to hear about their talent. You tell them that, you know what? When you push yourself, when you challenge yourself, if you work hard and you put your mind to it, there's amazing things that you can accomplish. I don't even know how good you could be, but it requires hard work. It requires discipline. It requires perseverance. And yes, you've been gifted with abilities, but they'll mean nothing without this other stuff. But when you combine that, it's amazing what you will be able to accomplish. And then you can create great visions. So I would have had that speech with myself at a young age, 12, 13, 14, hammered that home. I started getting some really good advice by the time I was 20. But a lot of water under the bridge at that point. And as I said, yeah, you know, I accomplished some nice things, you know, as a, as a player. And I'm proud of it because I really put in as close to my best effort all the time as I could. And when I felt I couldn't do that, when my first daughter was born and I was married, first daughter was born at 28 years old, you know, I was still top 100 in the world in singles and doubles. And I retired. Uh, it was um, February 10th, 1984. I remember it. I was at Indian Wells. I you know, got woken up in the middle of the night. My, my wife was pregnant and she had the child two weeks early. I flew on a plane, went back there, was there, and then flew back for my match because I had to. Otherwise, they're going to find me. Lost the match, and that was it. And um, so till the last day, I gave it my best effort. But if I were to pass it on to people, is let the kids know that it, they're capable of extraordinary things when they have passion, when they love what they're doing, what they're willing to work, and all of those fundamental principles of life success that we talked about. You know, this is one of the keys that I put in, in Maximum Tennis. You, you know, it's MaximumTennis.com. And why I'm so passionate about it is that, you know, you just got me thinking about it is because, you know, I put... At the corner of my philosophy, I have the Saviano method. And at the center of it are fundamental principles of life success. Because I feel that when you're coaching and guiding young people or anyone, you know, adults, when you're educating, there's a sacred trust involved. When people come to you and they're open and they're saying, help me, this is not a scenario where you're working out, a, buying and selling a car. This is a more profoundly significant relationship, particularly with young people. So at the core of my philosophy and what I have in Maximum Tennis short videos on this are fundamental principles of life success. And then just around the outside of that, fundamental principles of coaching. And they, as we've talked about here, there are 
coaching principles that apply to all sports. They actually applied basically to all aspects of life. And, um, you know, then outside of that, I have high, I have fundamental principles of coaching tennis, whether it be tactics, tennis, uh, you know, technique, uh, strategy, athleticism, all of that stuff. And then I have um, high performance principles, which are things that you would teach, you know, kids that are really serious or high level kids or work with professionals, maybe talking about how to maximize their, their racketed speed, you know, until it's to its fullest amount. You may, you may not be showing a 40 year old uh, adult that, but you are somebody who's super serious. And then on the outer parts are cutting edge technologies um, and new innovations that help integrate into the philosophy so that it's a living, evolving type of uh, method. And at the core are the things that change the least. And that's the fundamental principles of life success. So that's what I'm, that's what I try to do on the site. Then I have all different kind of uh, videos that help in that regard. I'm sorry I went off on a tangent, but it just got me thinking about um, what I've been working on now for years. What is my passion for as long as uh, the good man upstairs allows me to stay healthy and, and uh, you know, sharp enough, I'm going to share those principles that uh, I have learned. Yeah, Nick, well, you're uh, extremely sharp. Uh, and um, yeah, no, it's really exciting. Um, and, you know, it's just so comprehensive. I feel like um, it'll really be able to help you develop, you know, uh, your your life as a whole and just be successful in everything. Um, so really excited to to have people check out uh, MaximumTennis.com for sure. Um, one other um, aspect of, um, of adults, uh, you know, the problems that they have is, I guess, you know, their technique is, is something that, um, you know, maybe they haven't developed properly when they were younger and things like that. I, I, I you know, I'm not sure, Nick, how, how much uh, of your time you spent working with like club level players, maybe like three, five to five oh players and whatnot. But um, what's, what's some advice for those types of players to to be able to, you know, either be successful in their USA leagues or to maybe, you know, uh, get to the next NTRP rating, uh, what would you uh, suggest? Well, get to a really experienced pro because, you know, the, part of the art of coaching at a high level is to be able to help people at all levels. And you need to seek out um, what is practical given somebody's time given the years they've used a grip, like it's fine to say, oh, you should have a semi-Western grip. Well, if they've been using an Eastern grip their whole life and, you know, they're, they're you know, four or five and they're 55 years old, you know, you got you to say, hey, don't start teaching styles to them. Look to find the one thing or two things that if they do, will help them significantly, not try to transform them into a model of what you may think players should look like. That kind of um, myopic perspective on coaching is very damaging. 
You take each person, what's their on-court personality, how they like to play, how much time they get to play in a week, how much time can they put towards making little adjustments uh, or significant adjustments, what's their long-term goals, and, and then you, you start making suggestions that will lead them towards a more efficient, effective way of hitting the ball within the context of their game, their priority system, and so that you can really help them enjoy the game. And if you can do some adjustments that will help eliminate potential injuries um, by addressing, you know, little technical things, uh, that's really powerful and helpful so that they can enjoy the game. And of course, in, in making some suggestions in terms of movement, you know, split step, when to split, what to focus in on. You know, a lot of people think of the wrong things, how to pull themselves into the moment psychologically. You know, these are things that can be done with adults very easy, in some cases easier than working with younger players. Yeah, Nick, and in terms of, um, I know we're talking a lot about fundamentals, like from a technical perspective, what are a few of the, um, you know, most common, I guess, uh, technical deficiencies or things that, that, you know, players, especially uh, amateur players, maybe are not doing that they should, uh, should be okay. working on? Well, number, number one is most of the time the split step is not executed well or properly and they don't have the right mindset. Um, even sometimes there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, one of the keys to having a successful split step is you need to let go of consciously trying to think where the ball is going to go. You, you don't want to be doing that. Now, there are times when you're in trouble and you've got to commit one way or another. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking the normal course of a point. You serve, the person it's returned, they're, they're about to hit the return. You need to split. You need to focus on when they are about to hit the ball and timing your split right before they make impact. Now, a lot of people you'll see on the internet um, where people say, look, you know, that's not really happening. They're splitting slightly after. No, you have to understand what really transpires. When your visual system, which is part of your brain, sends the signal through the body to, um, to the muscles, there, the time it takes for that to happen, you have a reaction time. Then you also have movement time equals response time. So there's a delay in the person responding. So people look and say, oh, look, they're starting their split step later. No, that's, that's not necessarily the case. That process has to take its course. And so there is a slight delay. So people need to know simple things like that, which um, will, will help them uh, enormously. So split step, what I call a golden move. You know, it was funny. I saw um, briefly uh, a video recently where the individual was claiming that, uh, you know, a new type of cutting edge 
stroke. I won't say any more than that. And they talked about the importance of this special, almost new thing called a separation angle. Well, goodness gracious, a separation angle is when you turn your hips, you know, you get some, you turn your hips and then your shoulders turn a little more. That's part of the loading process. And you see that with virtually every world-class player on every major stroke that they do. And it, it's something when I was director of coaching education for the United States, it was one of the fundamentals in technique we would talk about. And recently it was funny. Um, the uh, I was watching TV and, you know, uh, I'm listening to John Macaron, Patrick, two people I've known for a lot of years and I'm friendly with. And they're talking about something with open stance um, backhand or something. And they're saying, well, who started that? And then, and you know, so I'm kind of biting my tongue. I'm thinking, come on, guys. And, and, and they're saying, you know, what do you think? It was it Richard Williams. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, I can't stand this. You know, that, that, so I text in and I said that Don Budge in 1938 hit a beautiful open stance, one-handed backhand. And so I sent it in and, and Patrick actually mentioned it to John on air. And it was funny because, you know, we think a lot of these things are so revolutionary. And then later on, when I had more time, I showed, I sent Patrick a clip of, of Don Budge hitting an open stance backhand, a video of it. And so there's a lot of technique that our fundamental separation angle is huge. And adults often aren't taught that. That is the loading process. But not only when you really coil like that is, and you use the ground, that's the way you absorb pace. And it's also one of the keys to generating pace. And most of the time, adults don't understand that concept. There's no reason why they can't be taught that. And it's very important. It's also when you make what I call a golden move, and I, I use this term, and people, what do you mean a golden move? Well, when you come out of the split step, and let's imagine you're hitting a forehand, and you're starting to turn your shoulders, simultaneous to landing from the split step, you'd be opening the outside hip. So you'd be turning the foot out. That move of loading that outside hip, turning it, opening it, sinking on it as you turn your upper body is done, believe it or not, on forehands, on two-handed backhands, on one-handed backhands, on slice backhands, on return of serves, and on volleys. I call it a golden move. And people don't realize how profoundly significantly important that is. So when you tie in the split step, uh, timing the split step, and you understand what a separation angle is, and you understand that golden move, that first move, that's one of the reasons why when you see somebody approaching a tennis ball, like somebody who's really skilled, they split and they're approaching the tennis ball, you can tell before they hit the ball, they're really good. And mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons their body is organized, their preparation, 
And conversely, when you see somebody who's not very good, it's pretty obvious when they're approaching the ball. Even if they're trying to look like a pro, it doesn't work if you don't have the fundamental principles. Yeah, that's such a great point. I mean, you know, it's eye-opening, especially for a lot of um, amateurs, how how important it is, you know, because people think about like, oh, what is the arm doing? And like, you know, uh, the take back and stuff, but it really all starts with the with the footwork. And uh, and it's so true, you know, just watching players, you can tell how good they are just purely by, you know, the intensity of their footwork and, and the technique of it all. So, um, yeah. yeah, really enjoyed hearing that. So, Nick, with, with Maximum Tennis, um, I want to ask you as well, like, what do you think, um, what, what types of players or is it players, coaches, like what levels, like who do you think should, should check out uh, MaximumTennis.com? Maximum Tennis is um, something I've been working on for over six years. And it's something where I wanted to give back some of the, the information that I've learned over, you know, I've been playing tennis and involved in it over 51 years. And I've been at a, a world-class level in terms of playing and coaching now for most of that time, you know, 44 years, something along those lines. And I think I've been playing more than 51 years. I started in 1967. So it's, it's, that's a few more years than I thought it was. But the point is that you, it's been an amazing journey and I've been blessed, blessed to play, you know, juniors, the college tennis and go through that process professionally, teach, be around, you know, brilliant people. Um, you know, I was working in the USTA and coaching. I've been on the court with so many highly ranked players, world champions, people that I've coached, people that, I didn't coach just discussions with people and, and you just learn a lot. And it's time for me to try to give back in a multitude of ways. And so maximum tennis is my passion. And I want to get this philosophy out, this methodology that I have, this Saviano method. It's, I think it's something I would have liked to have had the opportunity to have as a young coach uh, I know as a parent, you know, I, I don't, I'm married 39 years. I have three daughters, 38, 35, 33. I got six grandchildren. I have a seventh on the way. I'm part of, uh, we had nine children in our family. I have over 90 nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. You know, you learn a lot when you put all this together about uh, key things that are important a lot of the people I coach are still, uh, you know, they're almost 50 years old, some of them. So I put all this into maximum tennis about tech, you know, fundamental principles of life success, fundamental principles for coaching, fundamental principles for parents and things like that, that I think are really important in helping to deal with their players, their, their children. I want coaches to be able to go there and find valuable stuff. I want players at all levels to be able to get good quality information. Um, I want the uh, parents to know they have a place they can go where there's going to be podcasts. There's going to be various things that um, there's different types of videos of all types on technique. I'm going to be adding other experts as I go along, but 
all of it has to reach a certain standard. And that standard is it's high quality information presented in a way that's not fluff. It's not trying to sell you something every five minutes. It's valuable information that people can show their kids or coaches can show their players or, or um, players, even at high levels, it can reinforce things they know. And so I'm doing it. It's a, it's subscription based, but there's going to be a, there is, and there's going to be a lot of free content for people to look at. And there'll be a membership uh, level, a basic membership level, and there'll be a premium level. And one of my goals is to be able I'm in the process of, I don't want to say too much, of structuring it so that I can get this out to a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to get this kind of information. And, you know, it's organized. You know what uh, what is being presented and why. And um, hopefully, if people check it out, it's not like a you know, just like a YouTube channel. Um, it's, it's something where, and some YouTube channels are great. That's not, I'm not demeaning that, but this is something that is far more extensive. And my hope is people will really enjoy it. And I'm going to be actively involved in it literally on a daily basis. And I'll be doing question and answers. Uh, I want it to be a friend for coaches and everything. So as you can tell, I'm really excited about it. And I, I want this site to go on in perpetuity. I want it to be valuable to people. I want them to feel like they have an oasis to go to where they're going to get some real quality information. Super exciting, Nick. And yeah, I mean, getting all that information from one of the, the goats of, uh, of tennis, you know, I think that's a great idea. You know, they always say that you want to find, um, the best resources, um, and you're certainly one of them, Nick. So definitely highly encourage everybody to check out MaximumTennis.com. Uh, um, and uh, any social media, of course, any uh, social media handles as well that you might want to shout out? When you say handles, we have, we have social media, Maximum Tennis on Instagram and, you know, Facebook and all of that. And then we have a YouTube channel. We have all that stuff. But I'm, I'm very, very ignorant in those areas. I go and I... I make sure that, you know, I'm providing content and, um, you know, a lot of it, I'll, I'll actually film my live lessons and, and cool. we'll take excerpts from it. So you actually see me working with people um, and, and how I would present it, all of the, the positives. So this is real life stuff and, you know, reality stuff. And, you know, I don't violate confidences, but it's, um, it's interesting and you can, you know, for coaches and parents to hear how I approach things and you can see some of the gr great things or some of the things that aren't so great. So there's a broad spectrum of things. Awesome, Nick. Super exciting again. And, you know, congrats on all the great work that you've done throughout your career and with MaximumTennis.com as well. Um, yeah. Any uh, last comments before we uh, close this session? Now, just, just to say for all of those folks out there, whether um, you know you're a social player, you're a serious junior, a world-class professional, coaches, parents, 
remember about the lessons we want to share with the young people about growth, about improvement. No one is perfect. I spend every day trying to get better. It's about showing that we're evolving. It's one of the wonderful attributes of being a human being. And I hope that people that see me, that hadn't seen me in 20 years, notice a significant improvement in the person, in the coach, in uh, even the articulation, because that's what makes, I think, life exciting when we're evolving, when we're growing, when we're pushing ourselves forward. And uh, I'm really trying to funnel all of that into what I'm doing in Maximum Tennis to try to give back in, a, in a many, many different ways. Love it. Thanks so much, Nick. And yeah, it's, uh, you've inspired me to uh, improve myself uh, through this conversation and really can't thank you enough again. So uh, we'll have all the links that we mentioned today uh, on the show notes page. And again, you know, MaximumTennis.com, check it out. So uh, Nick, uh, it was an honor having you on. Thanks so much for My coming pleasure. on to the podcast. My and, pleasure. Uh, thank best. you so much. All the Anytime. best to you. All right. See you. Bye-bye. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Coach Nick Saviano. Definitely, again, highly encourage you to check out MaximumTennis.com to learn from one of the best coaches in the world. And I also would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast, which you can do at TennisFiles.com slash Apple Podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, I find, helps move the show the most in terms of rankings and visibility. So that would be my preferred platform for you to leave a review. But of course, a feedback on any platform is very much appreciated regardless. Uh, I also want to leave you with a quote as I do at the end of every show. And this one is by Dale Carnegie. And Dale said, develop success from failures. Discouragement and failure are two of the surest stepping stones to success. A very pertinent quote as Nick and I talked about on the show today regarding how to come back from failures, how to use failure to your advantage. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. And I've got another great interview coming up for you uh, next episode. So with that, thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is your host, Mirabana Ranchad. Signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.